1: All right. So um, today, uh, what we're going to be talking about, guys, is uh, death before dishonor. And I think the reason why the Lord led me to this particular thing is because if we're going to compare ourselves to Christians, okay. and when I say the word Christian, I mean Christian without a doubt. I mean those that are like Christ, because that's what the word Christian meant. It means Christ likes. So one of the things I wanted to pay attention to and talk about today was how, you know, what did they have that we didn't have? You know, what was so good about them and how strong they were in the faith that even death itself couldn't cause them to dishonor God. You know, and I just think it's something that we need to discuss and we need to get into. I know the Lord gave me this teaching in particular. So we're gonna talk about all those who would rather die before they dishonored the Lord. Or before they were disobedient unto the Lord. Why? Because we're going to find what the missing ingredient is in this. And you know, this is something that I think we all need. Now, some people would say, Well, it seems like, man, you just talk about doom and gloom. But people gotta understand, man, if if persecution is sure and tribulation is guaranteed, then these guys couldn't have been going off of their own bravery. There had to be more to this as to why these guys would say, you know, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do. And I think most of it has to go boil down to Jesus being that real to you. It's just like how you wouldn't want to dishonor your mom or your dad or even some military guys wouldn't want to dishonor their core or their, you know, their service, wherever they are, whatever branch they're involved in. You're going to want to please them because you see the purpose. There are a lot of people that go, and they fight for their country because they see the cause, they see the purpose. I would rather die than to let those nations rule over America. Okay, well, you know, that's the kind of attitude we gotta have towards Christ. The reason why they feel that way is because those things are 100% real to them. But if these things are gonna be 100% real to us, then we need to understand what that whole thing is about concerning doing what God says, concerning, going after the things that he wants. We've got to know God that personal in an intimate way that we become more heavenly minded than earthly minded. And we will do the things that God wants us to do. That's the most important thing. So let's pray and let's get right into the lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. And we thank you for your strength, for your love. We thank you for your peace. We thank you, Lord, for your fruit of the spirit, Lord, that will eventually manifest your gifts. And Lord, we pray that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions, Lord, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time you've given me with my sisters in Christ, Lord, that we are able to partake in your word, that we are able to do the things that you've called us to, that we are able to be faithful, Lord, and to continue steadfastly in your faith. And we know that it's nothing, Lord, that we can do of ourselves. So we pray that no man's heart be heard tonight, that no flesh be glorified. We pray for the brethren and sisters that are listening today, Lord, that are, you know, in the fight with us, Lord. And we just pray that you add unto that number. We pray that wherever we go, that we may ring in the harvest, Lord. For you said the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. So hopefully tonight, Lord, we get to discuss why, Lord, why there are so many people, so few that want to labor for you. And I think it's because, Lord, they have not considered dishonor to be worse than death. So we just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. Lord, we just pray and we. We ask that all these things be done, for you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are faithful, just and true, and worthy of all praises. Lord, as you build your army, we pray that all these things be done, that we may represent you and worship you without fear, without spot or wrinkle, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so again, like I said tonight, what we're gonna be talking about is gonna be called Death Before Dishonor. Death Before Dishonor. I think where I might have heard the title one day was from an um old Lee Marvin movie back in the day when I was a kid. I think that's what it was, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. But it was a military movie. But you know, I'm sure that they stole a lot of things from the Bible, too, in terms of you know, there's, there's nobody braver than a Christian, and it's just time that we understand this. Christians are the most brave, the most victorious, the most warrior-like people on the face of this earth. And they have been from the very beginning because the very fact that they can go throughout the world without violence and, and proclaim the gospel to anybody that wants to hear it, even if it meant that their own lives would be jeopardized, it's amazing. Oh, you know they 've been able to go forward with god 's spirit to do what he says. You will never meet another a, a braver individual than Jesus Christ. You will never meet anyone stronger. you would never meet anyone more loving. You would never meet anyone that was willing to sacrifice self daily that people would be saved and I like this um this thing I think Rob Skiba had a while back he was talking about how um they said that Zeus, it was something he saw in the History Channel. And they, they said that Zeus ruled the world for 3000 years. So he had it on lockdown, and he was considered the most powerful God of all. I forgot where that was on the program of the History Channel, but Zeus is another name for Satan, okay? Or Baal or Nimrod. But it says he was the most powerful for all these years until one day, you know, there was a lowly shepherd that was born into the world that came in and destroyed the works of the devil. That's what Jesus came to do. And through him, he never raised a sword. He never lifted up his fist. He never fought anybody physically. But yet he, through his through his word and through his teaching, he literally destroyed the Roman Empire. They could not keep the Christians from persecution or seeking God or recognizing that The spiritual world was greater than the physical world that we have today. So, you know, Jesus is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And for us to really understand that, we're going to have to get to know him in an intimate way. Why? So that we might live and do the things that he wants us to. This is so important that we get a grip on this. All right. So this is death before dishonor. All right, let's go to Isaiah 53 and let's look at verse 1. Let's get started. You know, it's so funny about those apostles and those disciples back then, even the prophets and the kings and the patriarchs, they all felt like, you know, um, they all had that mindset Lord, you can't do this. You can't destroy the children of Israel. You can't do this because of your namesake. They were so focused on the name, the glorious name, you know, of God or Jesus Christ as we see it in the New Testament. They were always so focused on upholding that honor. Moses said, you can't do this. You can't destroy Israel. Remember he said that in Numbers 14, because he said, man, the Egyptians will hear it. And all these other people will say, that the God of the Bible was not able to do what he said he would do. We've got to look at his name, you know, and how important that is, and how great a name. He says it was given above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, this is how we ought to see him. But the devil has made this world so sensual, so fun, so about self, that all we can think about is what's going to happen to us? How will we be seen? But you know, the question has to be asked, when was man given a greater position than God? So you see, we're supposed to be living for the existence of, you know, uh, magnifying the name of Jesus Christ, pushing the fact that we've got the greatest God and the only God of all, that other people may be saved and wanna join the ranks of God. But you see, if we get so focused on self we would rather dishonor before death. Why? Because that seems more of the likely thing to do to preserve self. And that's not what this whole thing was about. All right, Isaiah 53, and let's look at verse one. So Isaiah asked the question, who have believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now this was written 700 years before Christ, But Isaiah is asking, who's going to believe this report? Well, he's about to say that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So, you know, this makes clear, and I know a lot of people don't like this, but Jesus was very unattractive you would have, if you looked at Jesus, there was nothing about him that would have made you want to follow him. You know, he was he was unattractive. He probably wasn't tall. You know, who knows? There's probably things about him that you wouldn't even think about, like, man, if this is who we're supposed to follow? There was nothing about him in his physical countenance that would have said, son of God, not one. Okay, so it's important that we understand this, that in order to follow Jesus, man, you would have had to pay attention to his truth and what he stood for. I mean, even when you look at a lamb, there's nothing beautiful about a lamb. You know, a lamb's a funny looking character, whether it's male or female, they're all unattractive. Yeah. But you see, in order, but, but a lamb symbolizes in many ways, a lot of purity and innocence, because, you know, lambs are dumb. We know that Jesus was not, but I'm just saying in general that There's nothing about a lamb. You mean to say this is going to be the sacrifice? A lamb? You know, I was thinking something like like an elephant, something with power, you know, so that we can, you know, destroy it and, you know, get the benefits from it. But a lamb is meek and docile, you know, and humble. And this is the way that Jesus came. But there was nothing in Jesus to be desired. That's important that we understand that. How great a Jesus we serve. So, anyway, it says in verse three. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So when it says that he was despised and rejected, and it says that he was acquainted with grief and he was a man of sorrows. I mean, do you realize he lived every day his life as a sacrifice for you and I? I mean, let's think about this. He acquainted himself with grief so that you and I could reap the benefits of a great salvation. People hated Jesus. There were a lot of people that saw his miracles and believed, but there were a lot of people too that couldn't stand him. The Pharisees hated, even with all the good that he did, they hated him because of what he truly represented. A selfless individual. You ever notice in like in any workplace, if you've got a bunch of Lazy people around that don't want to do anything on the job but just collect a paycheck. You notice how they hate people that will actually move around and start working and they're doing things. And right away the mindset will be, "Oh, look at him! He think he knows, you know. Look at him trying to kiss up to the, you know, to the teacher or the boss. Are you trying to do this?" And then look at, him? "Why? Because people hate for those that will do what they want." those that will go beyond what they aren't willing to do. That's all a part of, you know, people that are acquainted with grief and sorrows. They're willing to take on that burden. They're willing to take on that responsibility. You know, but this was our Jesus. He was a man of sorrows. Grief was his best friend. Okay, he wore it like a coat. And then it says, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and and we esteemed him not. So imagine someone putting themselves on the line for you and you hide your face from him. Imagine someone, I know how the apostles or the disciples must've felt how Jesus did all this stuff for us, but we weren't even brave enough to stand there with him in the persecution. After three and a half years, we ran and left him and forgot all about him because we were worried about self. You know, now of course he redeemed them later and they got it together. But you see, the, the fact of the matter is Jesus and what he suffered and what he got, you and I in our physical, you know, uh, mindset would have never been able to just look at him and say, you know, um, that's who I want to follow. So you see, they took more than just looking at Jesus and, and seeing his life than to follow him. OK, this is a spirit connection. Let me get right in. This is verse four. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed Now this is true because we should have been we should have been destroyed for man's sin. I mean, not only did Adam do it, who was our forefather, he messed up big time. He and Eve, because all they had to do was pay attention to God. And then God tried to work with the children. Then God tried to work with, you know, um, a few righteous people like Noah. Then God tried to work through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you found disobedient kids, you know, later on. Then God gave them the law through Moses. And it's like, man, they couldn't even keep that then God had to send the kings and then he sent the prophets and he did all this up until the coming of Jesus Christ. And yet we still wouldn't hearken unto what God wanted. So finally, you know, this was the time when man should have been destroyed, but yet God had a master plan to send Jesus, his own son, to be the sacrificial lamb. We got to understand what the term sacrificial lamb is. I mean, imagine, can you imagine taking even a family member or a good friend of yours And throwing them out into the world to be beaten on, to be mangled, to be mutilated, to be bruised. And you do all these things to him. And I mean, you've got to sit back and watch this. I mean, you know, this is how deprived we were. But this is exactly what Jesus Christ did. He put his head on the platter for you and I. And it wasn't a quick death. He suffered a lot. But the whole time he was thinking of the father and he was thinking of you and I. And that's a real hero to think about Jesus. The fact that, I mean, even the people that were beating him, you know what I'm saying? And doing all that to him, he was father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's how important it was to Jesus that he would not dishonor his father or, or, or the cause for you and I to come here and to make it. We got to really think about that. I mean, it almost brings man, tears to your eyes to think that someone loved you that much to do what he did. That's something to think about. But see, we forget this because the devil tells you the world is fun. Enjoy yourself, have a good time. Oh, you can get to Jesus when you feel like it. You can give him the absolute worst as long as you give him something. His love ought to make you understand. No, we better understand what, what he did for you and I to bring us to the place of understanding that there is no greater love than that which you get from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So, you know, we are healed because of his stripes that he didn't even cause. Look at verse six. All we are sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus was sinless, but he had to bear the iniquity of you and I but everyone that was with him turned away like sheep. And that's what it means in John 1 when it says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He came into a world that was made by him, but the world was full of darkness. So they rejected the light. But you see, through Christ came grace and truth. So, you know, we got to understand that except for his grace that he helped to bestow upon us, man, you and I would have gotten something worse than anything. God the Father, for the existence of man for 4,000 years, 4,000 plus maybe, he bared his anger with you and I because he had a master plan to redeem us. We better start looking at what this great name is about because a lot of us seek to worry about our own lives, but we better be more focused on the life of Jesus Christ and we wanting that life to live in us. Why? Because we would rather die than to dishonor that great name. That's what this is about. A lot of people ain't gonna like this, but you know how I am. I don't care. When it comes down to Jesus, it's all about recognizing who he is and what he has done that we will get off of us and serve him. Verse seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he opened not his mouth." So Jesus could have defended himself well within his rights and said, you know something, I'm innocent. I don't have anything to do with this. This burden is too much for me. I mean, after all, why should I be beaten for them? He could have just stepped off the cross or asked God the Father to free him, sent 12 legions of angels and just said, oh, I changed my mind, just destroy the whole world. And Jesus said, if he would have asked for this, God the Father would have granted this to him. No, it wasn't the Father's will, but the Father is, you know, he and, he and the Father are one. So Jesus said, do you really think I'm out here defenseless? I can call 12 legions of angels and end this whole ordeal. But why he stuck with it is because he wanted to obey his Father. Man, and you know, nobody got what he got, so he never defended himself. He sat there like a guilty man and bore our sins. And he could have, he was well within his rights to say, you know what, not for me, maybe for you, because you guys deserve it, but I know. But he took the blame. Verse eight, he was taken, who shall, oh, sorry. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. So Jesus never hurt anybody. You know And I mean? It's just, man, (laughs) it almost brings tears to your eyes, you know, to, to think about that. That he never did anything to hurt us at all. Yes, Sarah.
0: On this, too, in reading this, you know, when he was standing there being judged for our sins and being beaten, you know, he could have very easily said,
1: I came into
0: this world to save you, but you're not listening to what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and you're, you're spitting in my face, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are always there mm-hmm. asking me stupid questions. <laughs> and he could have mm-hmm. easily said, you know what, Father? Destroy the whole thing. I'm not doing this. Just mm-hmm. destroy the whole thing and we'll start over. Mm-hmm. They're too evil to be saved. Exactly. He
1: didn't either. No, he never thought of himself. But I like what it says in verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked. So he bore their fate and with the rich in his death. You see, because, you see, the Bible considers a lot of rich people evil people. Why? Be- not because, you know, of those who distribute. He, he makes clear that if you're going to be rich, to distribute what you need to, you know, because God blessed you so you can bless others. But a rich person in many ways is an evil person because, you know, this world is one big pie, but he takes up seven eighths and he wants everybody in the world to feed off of that one eighth. And whatever's left there, if it's enough, oh, well, if not, oh, well. So, you know, he bore the, the uh, grief of even the rich, because that that makes clear when Jesus said a rich man will hardly enter into heaven, a rich man is the total opposite of who Jesus is. Jesus was rich, no doubt. He could have probably called for money down from heaven, but what benefit would it have been to God? God can make things. God can bring something from nothing. But Jesus was the exact opposite of what a rich person is in this world. Let us think about that, because he was selfless. He gave. He went to the Father for everything, and he met the needs of the Father. But what do the rich do? They live for self. They live for their own desires. They believe that money is God. Money will sustain me. If I don't continue living this life and keeping the riches coming, then I won't have anything. So you see, his mindset, a rich man, is totally opposite of what God is. So it says, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord, this is God the Father, to bruise. That word for bruise means to crush, means to mangle, means to mutilate, okay? The Father crushed him. He have put him to grief. So the Father put him to grief. The Father just stood back and watched the devil beat him to a pulp, beat him to absolutely nothing, unrecognizable. That was the father's love. Of course, he could have jumped in and done something. But the the wrath of almighty God fell on his own son because of a deprived people that we are in loving self. Man, that's a sad story. Thank God for Jesus. So he says he put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So even with all Jesus being crushed, you know, even with him being crushed, the one thing he did do was prolong, you know, through all of that death came forth the life of Christ. And that's important that we truly understand that how selfless he was. Totally, totally selfless. So it says in verse uh, 10, verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteousness, so my righteous servant justify many, but he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So, can you imagine telling somebody what's right from wrong, and the people continue to transgress, and yet you're still interceding for them? And then it makes clear that he poured out his soul unto death. That means he was beaten until the last ounce of blood left his body. That's how he was done. I mean, he had to. He bled out on that cross in suffering because of what we did. But it says that, you know, because of that, his portion will be with the grave. So as you can see, even though Jesus was promised this and Jesus did this, and now he's sitting on the right hand of the father, you know, with all majesty, all power, all dominion. But you see, God wants the same for you and I. It's important that we understand this. Because Jesus went through what he went through and he suffered what he suffered in this life for his brethren, for his people, for the sins of the whole world. He now sits on the right hand of the father. God exalted him and gave him a name above every name. But you see, if we want to be with God and do what Jesus Christ says to do, we've got to bear similar faith. We're probably not going to suffer as bad as he did because that would defeat the purpose of what he, you know, what he came to do. But one thing is clear. We're going to suffer and go through in this life that we may be exalted. That's what this whole thing is about. It's forsaking a life for a life. It's getting rid of the things that you would normally do in this life to meet the needs of God that we may reign with Christ and be with him. So the question remains, who believes this report? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that he did everything that he was meant to go through for you and I? Because you see, if you believe this report, then there's nothing you will do for the coming when Jesus Christ came and what he said to do. If you believe that he was the sacrifice for man, if you believe that he did everything that he was supposed to do for you and I, If you believe that he bared the fate that you and I should have gotten, then I ought to send you out there, one, appreciating him, loving him, praising him, lifting up his name to anyone, that they may also go under that banner of this great name. You know, there's, there's a world out there that's unsaved. And unless we reach these people and talk to these people about this, they're going to bear this fate in the end when they should have it during the period of grace. He wants us all to be able to deny self and to go after Jesus and do what we need to do here. But you see, we've got the world, we've got the flesh, we've got the devil, we've got all these things trying to keep us from believing this report. And every now and then we need a nice sobering message that we can all understand what this thing is about our minds need to be brought back to the time of Christ on the cross. And the the Bible even says that even in Hebrews 12, it says that we should pay attention to these things that we won't faint in our well-doing. Every time you start thinking about, oh man, my foot, my leg, my head, you know, I don't feel good. Go right back to the cross and think about what he bore for you. Man, death before dishonor. That's what Jesus Christ brought. He'd rather die and be sacrificed for God than to, you know, dishonor the Father and live in total humility and, and damnation. And we got to understand what this is about. If you got God the Father, Jesus Christ our Lord, the Holy Ghost empowering us, and I mean the, the great cloud of witnesses that the Bible spoke about in Hebrews 12, that's sitting there rooting for you, pulling for you. Come on, you can do this. You know they're praying for you because they want to see you make it. They want to see you in that name with that crowd of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I mean Moses, Elijah, I mean David, all these guys that gave their all to serve the living God. We've got to understand we've got a great lineage to live up to. and this time we start thinking about that. Lord, would I rather dishonor your name and live in infamy? Or would I rather live this life just to die once unto your will than to inherit eternal life forever and ever? Hey, I want to be with those guys. Those were the real guys that did what they were supposed to do. I can't wait to meet David. I can't wait to meet Joshua and all these guys that made it. And it will be sitting there looking and talking to one another. That's Adam. You know, that was the first man. Of course, Adam is going to look different, but that would just be something, you know? Hey, David, you know, you run over and see him and, man, you know, but it would just be something where you want to sit at this table because these were all those who denied self and loved God. These were also men of failure that went through so many things, but God helped them get through it. They pressed on towards the mark. They continued in the faith. They contended for the faith. And we got to understand what this is. I don't want to be any less than that. I don't want to be any less than what Jesus Christ says to be because anything outside of that is an underachiever. Worrying about your little mealy life. Let's go to Matthew 10. Worrying about holding down the job and and sucking up to your boss, you know, and he's talking down to you. He worked you for hours, then give you a little money on your check. And all of a sudden you're an accomplished, you accomplished something, you are successful. Don't make me laugh. The only successful people are those who have denied the world to serve the living God. Look how we walk around with a little 10 cent job. You think your little $5 million a year means something? Money doesn't even exist. It's not even backed by gold. All you've got is a bunch of Charmin toilet paper, or you've got, what do you call it, information. You look at your card, you go online, you see what's in your bank account. I'll tell anybody, if you got over $10,000, go and try and get that money out of the bank and see if it's really in there. Anybody can press information and do what they need to do. Go and see if that money is in there. They'll tell you, well, you're going to have to give us an excuse to give you your $10,000, but you can have $5,000 today. We'll give you $5,000 tomorrow. That's what's going to happen to you. There's no money in banks. Don't be fooled. That little change that they got back there, that's what they give to you but they don't have any money, man. This is, this is, no, this is, it's worthless. And God knows this, and the devil knows this too. Everything is going cashless. And in order to be, be able to hang on to your money, you got to receive a mark in the future. We better get unplugged from all this foolishness and decide to lift up that great name because God wants us to live beyond riches. What is rich in comparison to a child of God? Absolutely nothing. When you can get on the phone and call the Lord yourself, dad, I need a million dollars. Can you help me out? And the Lord will give you what you need. This is talking about a connection with God. I'm not trying to be funny tonight. I'm making the point. If you are one with Christ, what will he hold back from you? What would you be lacking? But yeah, we'd rather go to the devil, shine his shoes for a few dollars, and we think that we've done something. Through his education, which is nothing but indoctrination, lies, and programming, we'd rather go into that foolishness than to serve God. Thank God for Jesus. All right, let's so let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10, and let's look at verse 1. Everybody there? I forgot I said it. Matthew 10 and 1. And it says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus. Uh, Simon... Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, uh, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any um, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. Now why? Because the Samaritans believed other things, but he wanted them to stay on with what he wanted. So he says, But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass, nor, I mean, in your purses, uh, nor script in your journey, Uh, neither two coats, neither uh, shoes, uh, nor yet staffs, for the workman is worthy of his meat. So he made that very clear to them that if they stay in line with him, if they do what he has commanded them to do, that that workman would be worthy of his me. God will take care of you. And we all know that this is true. The more we dedicate to ministry, to serving God, to doing the things that he says, God tends to provide. When I was on Wall Street making six figures, I couldn't keep a dollar. So I don't know how that works out. But you've got to understand that when you stay with God, God will meet every need. All right. So he says um, in verse eleven, and into and into whatever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who it is um, is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if ye be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. So you see what his commandment is? He says, go into the town and see who is worthy. What he means by those who are worthy is those who will hear the gospel and believe it. He does not want us wasting our time casting pearls before swine and continually trying to compel people to come in that don't want to come. There's just way too many souls out there that we need to go after and and tell the truth to. So he made very clear that if you go into a house and people are receptive of the gospel, then remain there. Okay, but if they're not, kick the dust off your feet and move on. Take your peace unto you because they don't even realize that it's their lucky day that they get to hear the gospel and make a choice to receive Jesus. All right, so he says um, in verse 14, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that city, out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So Jesus makes very clear to you that for those people who don't receive it, Don't worry about that. And that's something that we've got to overcome as believers is rejection. We are way too focused on who's gonna like us or who will hate us if we preach the gospel. That's not our concern. Our concern is to preach the gospel for that great name in honor of Jesus Christ and God the Father. We are preaching the gospel for people that they might be saved if they don't don't want it. He says, it will be. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? it would be even better for them than it would be for these people. And you know why that is? Because Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have the gospel preached to them. Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked city, okay? And and, um, God, I mean, well, they knew the ways of God, but they didn't have Jesus Christ coming and telling people what the truth is today. So I'm not gonna say they had an excuse or what was done to them was wrong. They knew the way, but they decided to be more animalistic and not want God. But you see, now that the spirit is given, now that he's preaching the gospel, now that he's given us everything that we ought to do with detail that we may make it in, it'll be worse for those people because we're now in the period called grace, where if we don't receive it, at the end of time, we're going back to the law, where God is going to judge everything. Okay. But he made it clear in verse 16, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves." So he never lied to them. He never said, well, guys, it won't be too bad. You know, All you gotta do is call on me and everything will be fine. If you you talk nice to them, they'll love you and we can all just love one another. That's not what he said. He says, I know what I'm doing to you. I know where I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Can you think of a more helpless situation than that? Then to put a sheep in the midst of wolves, you think the wolves are going to shake their hand? Hey, how you doing? You know, oh yeah, you knew you live around here? No, the wolves are going to see sheep and they're going to go after the sheep to devour them. So he's saying, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He's not praising the serpent, you know, that, that the serpent's way is right. But, you know, it's clear in every verse of scripture you read of a serpent, the serpent is cunning. The serpent is crafty. Okay, so we must understand that the serpent is wise in many ways, because none of us would have fallen if he wasn't. He knew how to get to Eve. I mean, how to get to Adam by simply going to Eve and spilling out lies and to make them feel sensual and love one another. So he said, man, be wise as serpents, but be harmless as doves. So we've got to have God's wisdom to work through this thing. We really got to get to that place of, hey, this may be a situation where I may obey the spirit and it's not wise to say anything right now. Let me wait a second until what God tells me to do. Sometimes you gotta be crafty because you're not gonna put on your resume, I'm a Christian, and if anybody wants Jesus Christ, all you got to do is message me, and anybody got trouble with the Bible, I'll explain it to you, but yes, I want the job. You know, they're gonna slam the door right in your face, not because you're just a Christian, but they're gonna say you're crazy, all right? So these are things where we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We are not to respond in violence. Yes sir. And
0: on that subject too about how you know how the certain gets to Adam and Eve. And he's doing the same thing today. Mm-hmm. He's going to the woman to get to the man. Mm-hmm. And you know because a lot of men today are not uh, they're not strong in the woman, they're not strong in themselves. You know kids these days when they get out of high school they don't even know who they are. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to. I mean, it, it's, it's probably it's a lot easier today for the enemy to get people to fall. It's like you know, all you do is look at them. That's then right. You don't have to try that hard. That's right. But it's like you know something that you said a, a while back was that you know when it comes to marriage, you got a lot of guys, a lot of men that have been called by the Lord, but they're too worried about what the wife, what the woman says. Mm-hmm. Too worried. You, you, you mm-hmm. leave me then. You come back, I won't be here anymore. And mm-hmm. He gets more afraid of that
1: than doing the Lord, going out and saying, you know, whatever, I'm going to be the Lord. Mm-hmm. Be here or not be here, but it's more important that I follow Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them, um, you would even, man, you know, it really does take strong men and women to follow Jesus Christ. It really mm-hmm. does, because you've got to ignore a lot of stuff yeah. to walk with him and to stay in his good graces. Outside of that, you can fall away, man. If you even care about the feelings of somebody else more than God, is idolatry. I don't care if it's husband or wife. I don't care if it's your children. You know, we've got to understand where we are and what our position is. It's about uplifting Jesus. So he told them how he's going to send them. And then he says in 17, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake, for the testimony against them and the Gentiles. So you see what he made clear to them? For his name's sake, these things are gonna be done to them. Because we stand for the name of Jesus, because we would rather uphold his name than to dishonor him, this is what's going to come to you. And that's why you can tell the real Christians from the false ones. Because the real Christian, like Paul says, and um, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He says, for all who will live godly will suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, uh, Christians are always going to be persecuted for one purpose. A Christian can't keep his mouth shut. A Christian is always going to, to find himself in trouble because the Christian is always looking to defend Christ or to win a soul. And when you're in a dark and dirty and evil world like this, you're going to have some trouble. But that's why the Christian will always get in trouble because if he sees injustice, he is going to stand for it. Why would he do that knowing what it's going to cost him? Because he'd rather die than to be dishonored, than to dishonor the living God. Look at verse 19. He says, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not that day for it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You guys are already seeing this play out, you know, a lot of this, this gospel is coming between families. You're finding mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, I mean, uh, husbands and wives, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Mother-in-law versus daughter-in-law, that's been going on forever. But the thing is, is that you are seeing these things come to pass. Why? Because there are some that will stand for Jesus, even against their families, And there are some that will choose their families over the living God. So this is what he's talking about. So he says in verse 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So some people may say, well, I am saved already. I gave my life to Jesus. Yes, you are saved, but now you must remain saved. Okay. That meant that But all the obstacles that Jesus mentioned that are going to come your way, you've got to cling to him no matter what. He says that he that endures unto the end shall be saved. That meant that if Jesus would have just got off the cross one minute before his last breath and just said, I can't take this anymore. He would have dishonored the father and you and I would have bared this sin and been and been destroyed. But you see, for them that endure, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Are you going to go with Christ all the way to the end? For those that are in the wilderness that that wanted to go into the promised land, only those who believed God went into the promised land. If not, they were in the wilderness, okay? So it's important that we understand this. They died in the wilderness, not believing God, because they had one thing on their minds, self-preservation. Anytime you think of self, you cannot do what God tells you to do, because the Bible makes clear that this is one body, and there are two lives trying to come from it. Either it's going to be your life, or it's going to be the life of Jesus Christ. You've got to choose. But he says you cannot serve two masters. You are going to love one and hate the other. You are going to hold to the one and to despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So a lot of people are gonna give themselves over to their own preservation and they're going to lose their lives with Christ. So if you endure until the end, you will be saved. And that's why we've got to get built up in Christ. We've got to desire what Jesus wants. We can't take our prayer life for granted. We can't take our fasting life for granted. We've got to grow closer to Jesus that that the will of Jesus Christ will be done in us. Verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, fleeing into another, for verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the son of man be come. So does this look like we're running for our lives in fear? Yes and no, okay? God knows that we're being used and he wanted them to flee to another city, not because they're running in fear, but guys, if you get killed here, then you can't represent me there. So he wants you to, okay, they don't want you, move on and go to another place and preach to more people. Why? Because the gospel is that valuable, not to just sit there and wait on people who don't want it. All right, look at verse 24. The disciple is not above his master. 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 It's important that we have an understanding of this because every time you talk about what Jesus wants, people always try and tell you, well, I go to church, I pay my tithe. You can do all that and still go to hell. You've got to know Jesus personally. All right, so let's look. Nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. So you know what as means? Like, you know, just like your master was. The way that your master walks, you ought to walk. When it says you should be as him, that means no less or no greater, but just like he was when he was here. All right, so he says in verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So this is another thing as Christians we got to recognize, too. If they have called Jesus Beelzebub, now some people would say, well, there's nothing wrong with being called Beelzebub. What is that? Beelzebub means Lord of the flies or Lord of the dunghill. They pretty much called Jesus the Lord of poop. Okay, the Lord of flies in poop. OK, this is what they call Jesus. So it's important that we understand that if we're going to be followers of him, we're going to be called probably about the same or maybe even worse. So we can't if he took this and shook it off and kept going and left them to their own devices. We've got to be strong enough in God to do the same thing. We got to stop worrying about self. That's the biggest problem. You know, some people, he called me a name. You know what? So what? You know, they've done Jesus worse than they will ever do you. Call you a name, man, you better dry your tears and get back out there in the battle. That's what this is about. So it says in verse 26 Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that ye speak in the light, and what ye hear are in the ear, that ye preach upon the housetops. So you see what keeps a lot of Christians from growing up too? We don't take Jesus's word like he truly says. He says what he tells you in darkness, pretty much what you and I are talking about now, we should be out on Main Street screaming to the top of our lungs, telling people about Jesus. If we're really disciples, this is what we should be doing. Telling everybody, repent! The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus Christ is Lord, and forsake your sin and do everything that God wants. Because you know what? That's going to bring you into persecution real fast. And you're going to know real quick that this is an evil world. But he's telling them, this is what I want you to do. But as long as we pretend to be Christians, as long as we pretend to uplift the name of Jesus, as long as we pretend that we still got a stake in this life. See, we won't serve God because there's always a place you can hide. There's always a part of the fence that you can cling on to that you won't have to go to one side or the other. But if you go anywhere and you proclaim Jesus and you make it known that you line up with Him, this world's gonna turn on you quick. Yes, you will win souls, and yes, you won't be there alone. Jesus will be standing right there with you to make sure that you that you do what He says, and He'll protect you. But it will be clear to all that's a Christian, and I don't like that He told me about my sin. I'm not giving him a job. I'm not providing food for him. And if we see him later on tonight, we're going to rough him up real good because we don't like him. You see, so that will quickly say, man, what did I say that was so bad that I've got to give my life to, you know, that they want to kill me. Jesus is still trying to figure that out to this day. Jesus said they, they hated me without a cause, all because he was preaching life, all because he was preaching righteousness, all because he was trying to get a dying sinful world to come unto him. That's what this is about. Anyway, let's look at uh, verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus is saying, you better fear me and you better fear the father. But as far as fearing man, that's out. That's not going to be a soldier of mine. He told them, don't worry about what people can do to the body. You better be worried about who can destroy the body. And then after he's done, cast the soul into hell. See, Jesus was hardcore. People wanna look at him like he was some little weakling. Jesus was hardcore. Jesus will go anywhere, preach the gospel and not matter, excuse me, and not care what anyone says. You see, but that's how real he was with this. I would rather you die than to dishonor me. Why? Because you've got eternal life in the end anyways. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a father? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. So God is saying, I've got you. You just obey me. If I can make sure that the birds eat every day and all these things can be taken care of, I mean, you know I'm gonna take care of you. Just obey me. Just follow and do what I'm telling you and you'll be all right. But look at verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my father, which is in heaven. Now that's fair to me. You know, all I want is more faith and more of Christ in me to get the job done. But why should he defend you if, you're not, if you don't want him or if you're ashamed to tell people about him? It's only fair that, you know, our God is a reciprocal God. What you put into this is what you get out of it. That's the way it is in the world. If you don't go to work, you don't get paid, okay? If you don't have children enough to claim welfare, you don't get paid. But the bottom line is, you've got to meet the conditions necessary that you can get paid or you can reap the benefits. Who's going to reward you for never going to school? That's impossible. They try and do it with a GED today. (laughs) You know, make up four years and six hours. But the thing is, is that you've got to follow or meet the conditions if you want to have the things of God. So if you deny Jesus and you're too afraid, then Jesus is not gonna open up his mouth and represent you there. Why? Because that simply states that you don't believe. You don't believe the report that Isaiah the prophet said that we read in 53. You don't believe God. That's the only reason you're afraid. You and I will never do what we don't believe. You are only going to do what you believe in. You go to work to get paid because you believe in the system. Okay, you go to school to get an education because you believe it's going to benefit you. But you see, the same thing with Christ. If you profess Jesus, it's because you believe in Jesus, because you honor that name. You would rather be called names in the world than to dishonor him. So that means that Jesus has become more real to you than this life. But if this life is too real for you, you'll never serve Jesus. You'll go down with dishonor because you don't want to be singled out as crazy. Well, there's something wrong with me, or I've got a problem. Now, of course, we're growing to this, and I wanna be honest with everybody. This cannot be done in the flesh. There is no way in the flesh that you will serve God. You've got to die out to self that Jesus Christ can live in you, and these things will be done. The only one who can walk this out is Christ in you, not you of yourself. So we might be babes in Christ right now. We may be figuring out what we wanna do, but you nor I don't even have the fortitude to walk this way. It is only Jesus who was the conqueror of all things, who died for our sins. Our lives have to become hidden, Jesus, that we can manifest Jesus. As long as we're into self, we'll never serve Jesus. Trust me, even, even some pastors that have gotten to the place of telling people about their sins in church, or they might write books, or they may go on the radio. But you'd never believe how many of them wouldn't go out on the street corner and preach because, you know, from there you got no protection. There's no congregation surrounding you. You know, there's nobody here trying to help you. Anybody can be brave through YouTube or in a book. But how about standing before the government or whomever you've got to and tell them about Christ? That's simply something for us to think about. Okay, that's something for us to understand. We're gonna go somewhere guys, I promise, but I just wanted to make this point. So it says in verse 34, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Jesus is coming for war. He's coming with a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance, meaning at difference against his father and a daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. So this this war is going to be cut so fine that the people in your very house are going to argue with you and want to fight with you. You see, if we're really born again in Christ, then the war is going to come home. Why? Because you're going to see family members, friends, you're going to see wives and husbands, you're going to see children doing the wrong thing. Now, what do we do if we believe Christ? Do we tell them the truth or do we sin on these things because we love them more than God? You see, so of course the war is going to come home because sin doesn't just stay outside of a Christian home. Sin is going to work its way in. If you've got any part in this world, I guarantee you sin comes home with you, whether it's the mentality of sin, whether it's the spirit of this world, whether it is the desires of the flesh. These things are gonna come home with you and we're going to have to fight these things off. So Jesus is coming to set a man at variance against his family. Why? Because he knows that everybody's not gonna go for this gospel. But who do we love more? Do we love Jesus or do we love our families or our own safety? Death before dishonor. That's what this is about. Because a lot of people have been disowned because they decided to stand for Jesus. We gotta move beyond that. Move beyond that. Verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now, people will get mad at me preaching a message like this, but the point is. Am I reading this out of the Bible, or am I giving you my opinion? So you see, when people get mad at messages like this, they don't like Jesus. That's the problem, because all you're doing is quoting what he said. So why are you upset with me? You're upset with me because I identify with Jesus. When I speak the words of Jesus, I identify with Jesus. When I believe the words of Jesus, I identify with Jesus. So you find when when you're like that and people don't want to hear the gospel, "Oh, oh, that was a long time ago. Or, you know, I'm sick of you talking about this. They're not mad at you. They're mad at Jesus. And it's time to start calling a spade a spade because every true Christian should submit to the gospel. You may not be perfect. You may not be doing some things right. But one thing is clear. When it is brought before you, you submit. Lord, you're right. I'm a sinner. I need to get this out of my life. Lord, I need to be saved. Lord, I'm tired of fornicating. I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of stealing. I'm tired of doing all these things. Yes, Lord, you are right. Help me change my life. That's what you should be praying for. Instead of looking at it like this is too hard and some people are just Bible thumpers, we should be praying to be delivered so that we can stand on the side of Jesus. But a lot of people are going to stand for their family name than to uplift the name of Jesus, which is above all names. Yeah. He already said that brother and sister, family, and all that are gonna, you know, deliver people up unto death. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are not gonna believe it. You're gonna go preaching the gospel of Christ, and some people are gonna be in this thing for a while, but then they're gonna say, Man, it's getting a little bit too rough. It's time for you to be quiet. I don't wanna hear this, I don't wanna talk about this. But every time you see them, you're talking about Jesus. I guarantee you it's going to be on the news. You guys mark my words with this if we live long enough to see it. But it's going to be on the news. There's a syndrome ladies and gentlemen that's going on. And it's called religious fanaticism. And it's a it's a mental illness. And what's going to happen is, you know, how you what are the symptoms of this illness? You know, they just can't tend to relax. They're always talking about Jesus. They're always trying to push their beliefs on you. And at times they appear kind of aggressive with their words, you know, and adamant about delivering the gospel. So, guys, if you see such symptoms, you need to call this number because we only want to help. So please give us a call so we can help yeah. your family out. You you watch, you guys think I'm joking? You watch this come to pass, and you're gonna find somebody's unsaved, hate-filled, god-hating mother, okay, or father. Or brother or sister is going to pick up that phone and say, yeah, um, sir, I see what you're talking about. So um, how long is the program for? Oh, about six months. OK, yeah, um, I live here. They'll be here at 630. I guarantee you, you're going to be wrestled to your knees, dragged out the door, and you're going to be, mom, I can't believe you did this. And they're going to be, I love you. It's for your own health. No, you need help, baby. I'm trying to explain this to you. They're gonna be hauled off and you'll be they'll never be seen again. This is how in the end times those who are not sold out to Christ and want to uplift the name of Jesus, they're gonna give you up. Because to them, they might have been raised in church, but you see, glorifying Jesus to them was church. Man, it ain't that serious. All you gotta do is go to church. All you gotta do is tell people you love. All you gotta do is occasionally tell somebody about the gospel. But you see, you. Because you want to preach the gospel and obey everything Jesus said here in Matthew ten, you're a fanatic. And because of that, we can't tolerate you. It's time for you to go. You watch what I'm telling you if you don't believe it. Yes, sir. Funny
0: thing is is that I'm trying to remember that there was actually a movie made about that. I think it was in like the eighties or the nineties. They made a movie about that. And it's the exact same thing. It was people that were in some sideboard and um if you believed in Jesus Christ, they kept giving you this, you know, this medication and stuff like that. And if you did not uh attribute the sign, or if you did not deny Jesus Christ, then the patient eventually you died. You know, they would just kill you. But if you denied him because they were doing all sorts of, you know, um, what is that with the you put know, the eyes your what is that when the ice picking eye or whatever, that kind of They used to Mm-hmm. And see, they were doing that kind of stuff and they were doing other things. If you kept talking about Jesus Christ, eventually they would kill you. They actually made a movie about that about 30
1: years ago. Same thing. And you see, just how Jesus, now that sounds scary, but just how Jesus was able to endure the cross, it's only Christ in you that's going to endure persecution. See, your bravery is only going to last but for so long. I'm tough. I don't care, man. I'm not playing that with anybody, but guarantee you. When they get those pliers and they get ready to pull off fingernails and teeth, you're going to change. Okay, so this is why we've got to be full of Jesus, believe him, and to know him. God's going to deliver a lot of us, but a lot of us are going to suffer persecution. That's guaranteed for for the kingdom of God. Man, but see, if you don't care anything about your life anyway, what difference would it make? You see that? Verse 41. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Now, actually, it says um, in verse 40 He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of the disciples, I mean the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. You see, so when you love and you do what Jesus Christ tells you to do, you're going to keep that reward because you're a follower of Jesus. But it's time that we get back on track with what a follower of Jesus looks like. I only said that to bring that point forward because a lot of us are sorely mistaken on what this is. We love to read stories of Paul's bravery and Peter and all that. But do you not know if you are a disciple of him that you may bear the same fate? It may be different, but you will suffer persecution. It's guaranteed for a Christian. But what kept them going? Death before dishonor. Because they wanted to uplift Jesus. They found it a glorious thing to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. Read the book of Acts. They found that glorious to serve him than to go all out and, and, and um, deny him. You know, that's what this is about. So let's move on. I want to go to uh, John chapter 12. Let's go to John 12. In your spare time, read John 11, where remember this was the time of Lazarus being dead. Jesus went to, um, and went to town because he heard Lazarus was dead. And remember, the disciples said, man, you're going to go there knowing that these people are looking for you to kill you? You know, but Jesus went anyway, raised Lazarus from the dead. And what did the Pharisees want to do? Because everybody started following Jesus when they learned he had power over death. Now they want to kill Jesus and kill Lazarus, too, so that nobody knows that this is true. Okay, but this is where we're going to start in um, John 12. But you see, Jesus didn't value his own life only to do the will of the Father. So Jesus went into places where the Pharisees were trying to kill him. Why? Because the message needed to be preached. I know a lot of people want going to think this message is hard, but hey, man, this is what it's all about. And if you don't believe the words of Jesus Christ, then stop calling yourself a Christian. You know, just go and be a church person or do whatever you want to do. But you see, if you believe God's word and you believe that this is true, then you need to get closer to Jesus and allow him to build you up so that you will have that strength and faith empowering power in the spirit to do these things. A lot of people get mad. How are you going to get mad at me? And I'm only reading what's in the Bible. That tells you something about people, though. All right, so this is John 12, and let's look at verse 1. It says Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, uh, whom he raised from the dead. There they uh, made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, uh, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence? And given to the poor, but uh, he said that he, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had to beg and bear what, and bear what was to put therein. So then said Jesus, "Let her alone against the day of my burying. Had she kept this for the poor always, uh, ye have with you, but me ye have not always." So Jesus knew his time was coming to an end. All she was doing was anointing him for the crucifixion or for his death. But you see, Judas is talking about, well, why didn't we just sell this for $300 to give to the poor? Judas ain't care anything about anybody. He was a thief. The more money you put in that bag, the more he could occasionally steal. So you see, he was self-serving. And when you look at that, this is why he didn't believe Jesus, even though he walked with him. You see, this is why it was no problem for him to hang Jesus over because he had already given his heart to the devil. He was self-serving. A self-serving person is a person that is of the devil. And that's why when Jesus handed him the sub, Satan entered into him because Satan had an avenue that he may come after Christ because the name of Jesus didn't mean anything to Judas. Judas was just interested. He had nothing to do. That's what I really sincerely believe. Is there money along this journey that I can follow Jesus? Are we gonna find some treasure? Is there gonna be something in it where that'll be beneficial for me? And he didn't see the benefit for him. Why? Because he was focused on self. He wasn't worried about eternal life. He was worried about all the money he could steal in this, excuse me, in this lifetime. So that's important to understand. So anyway, let's look at verse uh, nine. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus so these guys are clearly worried about self you see the spirit that's here we care about our image how we're seen how we, we're seen before others but you see that will instantly make you an enemy of God. When you begin to see that I've got to forsake things that I may walk with Jesus, you are automatically um, already pointed towards being God's enemy because you care about you. All right, so let me move on verse 12. And it says on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, uh, took branches and palm trees, and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, the king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered of they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So they're talking about Zechariah 9.9. But the point is, is that it also made clear that Jesus was sharing a lot of the word to the disciples because there's no record of them even reading Zechariah or any of these other things. So they spent a lot of time with Jesus where he was refreshing them and telling them about the word Mm -hmm. so that they could believe. Some people don't even believe in reading the Bible. You know, they believe in just being a Christian by their own right. So it says, um, look at verse 17. Uh, the people, therefore, that sat with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bare record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? behold, the world is going after him. So you see, with with all their best efforts and everything they tried to do and issuing threats and doing everything, he said, man, do you see that none of this is working? That we have absolutely nothing. The whole world is going after Jesus because he raised the dead. That's what this is about, man. You're gonna find a lot of pastors and a lot of church people in the end times and false believers that when God begins to manifest the gifts through his people, The churches are gonna automatically hate you because they're gonna call you a false prophet. They're gonna tell you you love Beelzebub or you're one of his men, because they're not going to believe that Jesus Christ is living in you and doing the works of Jesus. Those people who sat in church for 40 years, never had anything manifest in their lives. They are going to hate you by nature. He says that they will take you into their synagogues and scourge you. It's not gonna be the world. That's going to come after the Christian first. It's going to be the false harlot church. They're the ones that are going to hate you, and they're going to turn to the government to go after you. This is what the Pharisees did to Jesus. They were supposed to be the religious leaders of that day. They didn't just deal with Jesus themselves. They went and got Pontius Pilate to try and deal with Jesus because they didn't want the blood on their hands. That's what's going to happen. You watch when they alert the authorities that there's some real Christians out here doing God's will. The real Christians are going to glorify Jesus for the works that he's doing. The false Christians, man, we got to get rid of them because they're messing with our money. When they find out that we're fake and they know the real Christ, man, we're going to have to kill them so that we can still keep our status and make our money. Because if you go into Joe Osteen's church, or you go into T.D. Jakes's church, or Crapload Dollar, or even any church around the corner here, and you raise the dead in that church, and you heal the sick, and you do the things that God says to do, instantly, people will abandon that church and follow after whatever you're doing. You didn't even tell the people to follow you. You're going and doing what God said, and man, I want to see where he is. Because after all, I got cancer. I got stuff going on. I got things wrong with me. So man, let's follow him. Because he's got the life of Christ. And automatically those churches are gonna band together. Hey man, we're losing money. The robbing the people in church ain't working anymore. We've got to kill that Christian because he stands for the truth. You watch. That's what happened to Jesus. Remember, even in the book of Acts, when the gifts began to manifest in the apostles, shortly came persecution. Why? Because they were showing people who the one true God is and who was a real believer. All right, so it says, uh, I believe I stopped at, uh, let's see, uh, verse 20. Yes, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was at Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, uh, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So Jesus is making clear how, even like we did the other night, we were talking about the trees. On the radio show, even though if we were to do things and say that, um, you know, I mean, if you were to see a a, um, corn or whatever, and if someone just kept plucking corn and they didn't allow, you know, the seeds to fall, that they may go into the earth and bear more seeds, then there'll be no life. So you see, death begins, begets life. The death of you begets the life of Jesus Christ. You see, you've got to die so that Christ can live. You've got to sacrifice your life so that other people can hear the gospel and believe. So Jesus is making clear to them, if I don't die, then what's going to happen is this thing won't be done. You won't be given the life that is necessary for you. Okay, so that's what he's making clear. So he says, uh, look at verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. So Jesus is making it clear. If you follow Jesus and you serve Jesus, that where Jesus is in heaven right now, you and I will be. It's that simple. This is the truth of the gospel. If we live our lives in accordance to the way Jesus lived it, because of that great name, that we will have the same eternal life that he has. That's all he's He's making it known here. People will tell me I'm preaching hard. How can I be preaching hard I'm reading it right here out of the Bible? Your problem is not with me, it's with Jesus. Look at verse 26. If a man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall um also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So you see, if you serve Christ, if you give up your life to serve Christ, God the Father will honor you. You see that? Verse 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into the world. So Jesus is saying, I know what my fate is. What Isaiah 53 is, you know, of the spirit of Jesus spoke through the prophets that people may know. So Jesus knew what faith that he was going to bear. So he says, so what should I do? Should I call on the Father and say, Father, deliver me from everything that's going on? He said, man, but this was the purpose and why I was sent to the world. So what is the purpose of you and I even getting saved? Is it to honor Christ or is it to honor you? You see, this is what we've got to look at and what we've got to see. This is bigger than us. This is not just for our eternal salvation, but the salvation of anyone that needs Christ that we come into contact with. Uh, Verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. You hear that? Jesus said, right after he said, for this cause he came into the world, this is his prayer. Father, glorify your name. Oh, you know, then it says, Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Of uh, The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake unto him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me." So we must understand that Jesus is making clear, now that his time has come, that he's going to be persecuted and killed for you and I. He makes clear next that now is the judgment of this world. So now when Jesus does this, that the prince of this world, which is the devil is going to be cast out. Because once Jesus sacrifices himself, and that the spirit is allowed to come unto us, the devil has no dominion over someone that is is of the spirit of God, because the spirit is going to lead you to the place of forsaking the world, the flesh and the devil. And because of that, the devil has no hooks into you and what he can do. So he'll be cast out just like a dirty dog because he can't do anything to you and I if we be of Christ. So he says, if he's lifted up, all men will be drawn unto him. If we lift up the name of Jesus with our words, with our actions, with our lifestyle, then we will ring in the harvest and save souls. But if we get focused on self and how we're seen before others and what we can be looked at as, then Jesus Christ will not be lifted up. Everything that we do is for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's what this whole thing is about. And you see, if that is done, then he will be lifted up. And then we will move on to honor and not dishonor. Let's look at verse 33. This he said, signifying what death he should die, the people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And Jesus said unto them, yet a little while uh, is the light with you. Uh, Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Excuse me. Uh, While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. So while we're hearing all this, what we're talking about tonight, he's saying that if we walk in the light that Jesus Christ has given us, darkness won't have a way in. But if we choose the darkness over the light, we're going to be just like the people in the world, the sheep that actually think that they're knowing stuff, that actually think that they're learning and knowledge and wisdom and understanding, that actually think that this world is sustaining them. You're walking in darkness outside of Christ. The whole purpose of why Adam and Eve were created and all that would follow them if they would have stayed in God was to glorify God. We were always made to be the temples of Christ. But if we give into the world and we forget about Jesus, then we will move on to dishonor and not honor with Christ. We are we are the walking dead if we don't have Christ. People talking about I don't want to die if I serve Jesus. You're already dead. That's the bottom line. You just don't know it. Move on in the light and let the Lord govern your life that it may be prosperous and well to him so that we can grow in spirit. And we can get a job done for that great name, which is Christ. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had uh, done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. You see, these are blind people. These are people that don't want Jesus. Jesus has performed many miracles even in our lives. But a lot of people don't want him because they want to abide in darkness. You don't believe because you don't want to believe. And this is why when you tell people about Christ and all about this wicked world and how we need to come out of it, people hate Jesus, man, with a passion. Because, all right, I may become a Buddhist, but I'm not going to become a Christian. Because, you know, Buddhism is darkness. It's going to feed you in your in your dark light. You know, you think that you're being inspired to serve him, but you're growing into greater deception and darkness. People will do anything but to serve Jesus. They will even enlist in war, join the Marine Corps, go over there and kill and and stand the chance of being killed. Everything that they'll do then to come to Christ. That's how how wicked this world is though. Some people would rather die on a battlefield that will lead them to hell, okay? Because no murderer is coming into the kingdom of God unrepentant than to serve the living God and, and move on to eternal life. This is really something. So I just wanted to bring that point forward. Um, Read the rest of uh, John 12 in your spare time, because we don't have a whole lot of time to go through a lot of things. But it's important that we understand Jesus said he has to go so that the spirit can come upon us. Jesus lived his life unto his death because he wanted you and I to prosper. We should be living our way like that for the brethren. Okay, God's plan was not just that Jesus Christ would come and die, but that we would all forsake our lives, get full of Jesus, be like Jesus and go out and preach the gospel. So you see, that was God's master plan. The devil thought that he was crushing Jesus, that he was really doing something like, all right, I got him now and I'm going to destroy him and make him give up. But he didn't know that having the spirit would be like a pregnant spider. You step on a pregnant spider, you think you killed him? and a bunch of spiders run out everywhere. Now you've got an infestation of spiders when all you had was one spider. See, God was God was thinking way ahead. I can give out my spirit, that I can multiply my son, that a job can be done. Now the devil, you see how the devil compensated for it though? All right, fine. I'm gonna make this world fun. I'm gonna let you know that you can have desire and pleasure gear and you can enjoy the American dream or the Asian dream or the Russian dream, wherever the dream is being given out. They want people to believe this, this is your life. Man, you can go on, you can take yacht trips and man, you can just bask in the sun with millions of dollars. This is how the devil tried to compensate for what God had done. And this is why we've got to be extracted from the world be dead to self, be alive to Christ, that we can continue on the mission of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. See, the devil came up with plan B. And and the funny thing is, we think that plan B came from God. God may use some of these things that some people may be, you know, their needs may be met, but he doesn't want us really having a stake in this world. And how do I know this? Because he's going to allow the devil to sink the economy to take all this stuff away. And all you're going to have is Jesus to look to. So what he's doing right now is he's allowing us to get what we can using the unrighteous mammon to do the things that God wants us to do. That's it. This money is only used for one purpose, that we may love our neighbor and do certain things. This is not to store for self. This is not for your future. I just read what your future is to you. Okay, you will be persecuted if you be of Christ. That's your future. Let's move on. Let's get into the brethren in your spare time. Read John 17, how Jesus talked about, you know, his prayer and his desire, how he wanted you and I to be saved, how he wanted us out of the world, that we might do his will, how he sanctified himself so that he may sanctify others. That's Jesus's prayer, John 17. So read that in your spare time, because that shows you the heart of the Lord. He said, Lord, thank you for keeping, Father, thank you for keeping the ones that that you gave me. But he made clear that, Lord, I'm keeping them, I mean, Father, I'm keeping them out of the world. So he wanted us to be in the world, but not of it, that we would come in and get a job done. We don't even realize what we're missing out on on the other side, because we're clinging to this trash. What more do we have to look forward to than to be old and ugly? We're going to all be very ugly. I don't care what you look like now. You will one day be as wrinkled as leaves. All your teeth are going to fall out. You're going to rot and stink, and you're going to have to get your diaper changed. You're going to go right back to the stage of being a baby. I mean, what do we have to look forward to? And then go to
0: hell. <laughs> What's that? And
1: then go to hell. After you've already rotten to the core, you know, your old bones are just... Up here, here. No. yeah, yeah right. no,
0: that's here.
1: exactly. Arthritis, disease, all these different things can come upon us. But God is trying to tell us, man, this is only the beginning of the journey is that we do what we need to do here, get through that, and move on to glory. Mm-hmm. Man, heaven must be a beautiful place because you know they have forsaken everything. There's no sex in heaven, there's no marriage in heaven. All you get to do is be with God. So man, how great is heaven when some people consider those two things the greatest things in this world. Yes, sir. You know,
0: you know, so kind of usually see involved. So of course you're doing way better.
1: Exactly. Way better. Good, sir. Well
0: and also on that is a lot of people, um, oh, thanks. They think that <laughs> a lot of people think that why doesn't God just accept me for who I am and allow me to be in heaven with the way I am? Mm-hmm. They don't realize, and there was one guy that actually had a vision about this, too. Our flesh is not compatible with the glory of heaven. In other words, you think that your flesh would desire heaven with all the lusty and desires and stuff like that. It won't. You would actually rather have hell because it would be like a painful experience for you. It's try and turn to the kingdom. Heaven mm-hmm. with the fleshly nature that we have right now. That's why it even says, you know, in the scripture, it says that when we stand before the Lord, that whatever things that we have left in our life, even if we're going to make it into heaven, whatever things that we have left in our life that have not been dealt with, don't be shouted from the rooftop. That's, right.
1: that's right. And you see, that's the thing, too. Sarah brought up a great point, and Anna did, too, talking about that you'd have no pain in heaven or, you know, any of these things that we suffer with here in the flesh. But Sarah brought up a good point. She said that a lot of people don't even realize that, you know, if we're not born again, if we went to heaven, heaven would be hell. That's what you got to understand. You would rather go to hell if you're not born again in Christ, because you won't have the nature of God. You, won't, you What do you think they're going to do? They're going to be fornicating in heaven? You think they're going to be doing filth in heaven, watching nasty movies and TV shows that you like? You've got to have a different nature and change to be in the kingdom of heaven. You can't live your life. Like, like we. she just said, we don't qualify for this. You, don't, you wouldn't want heaven. If you've got a hard time obeying God now with what he said and you've got a problem with it, why go to heaven so you can be with the living word that you won't even want it? So you see, to desire what God wants is to desire heaven because he's getting you heavenly minded and heavenly and spiritually prepared that you will be with God. But you would never believe if God brought you to heaven as a sinner, and that was unrepentant and didn't want to change, it would be hell to you because you still got a filthy nature that will not change. That's important that people understand that. All this is doing is telling you what's up there, (laughs) what we got to prepare for. So if we know
0: we're going to heaven, it's okay to you suffer. You know, what's the point? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe you suffer for a lot but you know what your reward is. That's Where right. That's so right. So it's not going to be uh, too hard for you. Exactly. Because you're not attached this world. Exactly. You just, I mean, maybe you suffer, you suffer for the name of Jesus. You suffer for Him, but you're looking I mean, ahead. Mm-hmm. You're looking for glorious days that you're going to spend in eternity. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be too hard for you. Maybe sounds is so awful and so hard. Your life is going to be miserable, suffering for Jesus. But if you really have a Holy Spirit in your life and you're uh, focusing
1: on Jesus, it's not going to be hard. That's right. And that's why you've got to be transformed. You've got to forsake this world now because I didn't think I could go without TV. But, I mean, I haven't watched that TV and I don't know how long now, you know. I thought that there were some things I couldn't go beyond but you do. You didn't think you could stop fornicating, stop lying, stop doing things, but you can. If you give it to Jesus, he'll take it from you. But you see, this is all about a changed nature so that you won't do the things that you would. That's what this is all about. All right, let's move on. Let's go to Luke 23 and let's look at verse 32. Luke 23 and 32. And that's why I suggest that people give their time and their lives to Christ, because you can't see it with a fallen mind, what what God is trying to tell you. We think that we're living good, but really you're filthy before God. So what he wants to do is change those things. But if you look at God through a carnal mind, a pig doesn't know he's dirty. Right after you wash a pig off, he'll jump right back in the mud because a pig is dirty by nature. So a pig thinks that mud is cleanliness to him. So, you know, we're pigs without Christ. And that's what we need to do to change. You know, like a cat, you put a cat anywhere around dirt. You ever notice a cat will actually lift up his paws? Even when a a cat cleans his uh, litter box, you ever notice if there's anything, he'll try and shake it off, Mm -hmm. off his paw and then wipe it on the thing, not to have it on himself. A dog will roll around in doo-doo and run and jump on your couch and then come and lick you in the mouth, not even care about it. But you see, a dog has a dirtier nature, but a cat, I mean, a cat will clean himself. And I mean, man, they really get into it. You see, a cat clean, they go up under their legs and they make sure that everything is clean. So they got two different kinds of natures. All right, that's what we gotta be. We've got to be like God wants us to be. So this is uh, Luke 23, sorry. And let's look at verse 32. I think that's where I am. Yes, Luke 23 and 32. I was in the wrong uh, chapter. So Luke 23 and 32, and it says, and there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, which is, you know, Golgotha or a place of the skull. It says, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then they said, Father, I mean, then said Jesus, sorry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast locks. So, right while Jesus is on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, they're taking Jesus' uh, robe. So you see, a lot of people like to paint pictures of Jesus with underwear on. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was naked on that cross, adding to his humiliation. They ripped off his garment and they just left him there. You know, and now they're gambling for his robes. You see, he despised that humiliation, but he counted it joy that you and I could be saved. Then he says, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, "We saved others; let him save, or he saved others; let him save himself. If he be, if he be Christ of uh, the chosen of God." So they're teasing him. They don't even realize if he took them up on their word, they would have went to hell. They would The earth would have opened up, and they would have dropped in. Okay, but he's he's ignoring them for the sake, for the simple fact that he really does love them. So it says in verse thirty, uh, verse thirty-six, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, "If thou be the King of the Jews, save thyself." And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, "If thou be Christ," save thyself and us. So I bet you the one who said that, he was the one on the cross that was on the left. Okay, I'm pretty sure of that. This is a goat. He's saying, if you be Christ, save yourself and us. You know, I mean, which is not really that bad, I guess, if you're looking at it in a carnal mind. But then it says in verse 40, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, um, does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So here we are, tied up just like Jesus is, and then he's saying, man, and he's rebuking him and correcting this God. Don't you fear God, seeing that we're in the same situation? But that God wasn't mocking him, thinking that he wanted to really be saved. He was making fun of him. Well, if you're God, you know, that if you're the Christ, then why don't you save him and us? But he didn't believe that. You see what I'm saying? It was like, like mocking just like the soldiers were. So the guy rebuked him. Verse 41, and we indeed justly, but we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man have done nothing amiss. So he made clear, hey, don't mock him. We deserve what we've got, okay? But he doesn't, he's innocent of everything that he did. Now, this guy is on the cross, recognizing that Jesus Christ is innocent, okay? So we ought to understand, even as Christians to follow God, that we're not innocent in what we have done. In doing so, that should make us want to serve the living God more and do the things that God tells us to do. And why is that important? That's important because if we see ourselves as innocent, we will choose dishonor before we choose death. But if we recognize that he saved our souls and we deserve the faith that he got, then our perspectives reverse and we begin to see we're worthy of this. He wasn't. He paid the price. And because of that grace with his shed blood that he has bestowed upon me, I'm going to take that time to speak of him, to reach unto others that they may be saved. These are two different personalities. So he said, uh, verse 42, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, he called him Lord. Let's look at that. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So he believed that Jesus was the son of God. He believed that he was Lord. And he also believed that Jesus had a kingdom that was waiting for him. So as you can see, he could have asked for a lot here. He could have tried to butter Jesus up and say, well, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And by the way, uh, did you get me out of this? But you see, he didn't do that. What he did was he wasn't even looking to save his life here. He recognized this life is what led me into what I'm doing right now is why I'm on the cross. He never asked to be saved from this life. He says, when you enter your kingdom, Lord, remember me. Man, what a beautiful thing. You know how painful crucifixion is? You know what it is to not being able to stand up because your legs are constantly bent, your arms are stretched out so you can't breathe. And instead of having your arms tied to the cross, you got nails in your hands. So every little breath Jesus would have taken, he would have felt the tearing in his hands. Every time he tried to breathe to lift himself up, his scarred back would have been scraping that wooden cross That would have been full of splinters and everything else. With a crown of thorns on his head. And this is the God we love and we serve. This guy said, remember me. Look at verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Man, what a beautiful thing. Jesus is on the cross saving one more soul one more individual that wanted him, why? Because you see, when Jesus tells us we've got to bear our cross and deny ourselves and follow him, this thief was on the cross. Remember that teaching we did? Anybody want more understanding of why this thief didn't just make it in at the last minute. He did everything that we should do in order to be saved. Go to Sound of Trumpet Ministries, SoundofTrumpetMinistries.com, and look up a teaching called the thief on the cross. The Lord gave us two hours of teaching from this one message alone because this man, he bared his cross, okay? And he didn't, he didn't, uh, he forsaked his life when he could have asked for a lot and he believed in eternal life, not in this present world. So this guy did what was supposed to be done. Glory to God. He'd rather have death and move on to eternity than dishonor in this life. Beautiful thing of God. Let's go to Acts chapter seven. We're almost done, Acts chapter seven. All right, Acts chapter seven, I believe we are going to look at uh, verse 49. So this is Acts seven and 49, this is young Stephen. Stephen was a minister or deacon in the church And he was only about 20 or 21 years old. He was only saved six months before God sent him. And then Stephen went out on the street ministering and miracles were being performed, casting out devils. Stephen was doing all this stuff in six months because he gave his time to the Lord. So now he's arrested by the, uh, what is this group called again? What do they call the Pharisees group? Oh man, the Sanhedrin. He was standing before them, and now he's given his testimony on why he believes in God and he's doing what he's doing. So he was ripping into the Pharisees. He, was, he brought it all the way back to Egypt when they escaped or when God freed them. He pretty much gave them the whole history of Israel up until this point because he wanted them to know why he was faithful. He believed God. He believed the scriptures, and he believed Christ. So this is verse 49, it says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Have not my my hand made all these things. Look at what he calls them in verse 51, the unbelievers. Ye stiff-necked, that means hard-headed, you know? And it says uncircumcised. That means their hearts were still for the world, but their hearts weren't circumcised to worship God and then love Christ. So you say ye stiff necked and circumcised or uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have your fathers have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which shewed before of the coming of the just one? of whom ye have been uh, now the betrayers and murderers." So Stephen is asking these these Pharisees this question, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? They killed every single prophet that wanted to show people about righteousness and following God. And now you got Christians today looking for a pre-tribulation rapture so that they can get out of it and not have to endure. You see how far we've moved from the truth and the things that God wants us to, we're looking to get out of here unscathed when these guys went through from the beginning to the end. That's what Jesus tells us, he that endureth unto the end. Verse 53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So all he said was, you guys are stiff-necked. You persecuted the church. You're doing all these things. Your ancestors or your forefathers never believed either. He's trying to tell them how to be of God, to obey God and do what God says. But these guys are mad because they know, what. hey, ain't nothing cut deep like the truth. When somebody tells you the truth and they hit you in the heart with it, you've got a choice to do one or two things. That is to yield to it. Because remember back in Acts 2, Peter uh, gave his sermon and it says that those people were cut to their hearts. And what did they do? What must I do to be saved? Those people were so hurt in the heart like, man, we really did crucify, crucify, crucify the Lord of glory. He said, man, you know, what must we do to be saved? But these people, they gnashed on him with their teeth like wild dogs. Imagine running up to him and biting him. This is that hatred that they had. Verse 55. But he being full of the holy ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now you know Jesus sits at the right the right hand of God. So Jesus is standing to salute this God. Job well done. Now he didn't lift a finger to help Stephen because Stephen was obeying what God says. Stephen told the truth. They got mad. They bit on him and did all these things to him. And it says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, being full of Jesus, he just looked up unto heaven and he saw Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God. Then it says in 56, it said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. So you see what being full of the spirit will do. It will help you to endure persecution. He wasn't saying, ooh, ow, you know, or whatever. Or he was like trying to deal with his pain. He wasn't trying to fight them off. He was looking at the glory of God because he was ready to go whenever God would have received him. Look at verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped up their ears and ran upon him with one accord." So can you imagine that type of hatred? Here he is glorifying God, and they're making loud noises and stopping up their ears because they don't want to hear it. And then they run up on him and surround him. (laughs) Look at verse 58. "'And cast him out of the city, and stoned him. "'And the witnesses laid down their clothes "'at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul.'" You know that this is Paul. Mm -hmm. "'And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And you know why Stephen fell asleep? Because he was going to be resurrected at the coming of Christ. A Christian cannot die, but he would rather die than to dishonor the living God. That's where we've got to get to that place. Uh, if we get full of Jesus, we'll be the same way. But you know, people think stoning is you pick up baseball sized stones and you just hit them. They pick up boulders and they throw, they bash your head or wherever they can do. They pick up big stones. They say, I know the movies like to show you little stones they're throwing. Uh-uh, they take stones and they will bash you up. I mean, break your bones and everything.
0: That's why the, uh, they said they stone Paul outside of the city and supposed that he was dead.
1: Mm-hmm, that's yeah. where we were going there. Oh. It's good. No, it's all good. Good, make your point.
0: Because of the fact that he, they just stoned him and he passed out, and it was like all the disciples were standing around about and he came back to and went right back into the city, right
1: back into town. But like it gonna, meant nothing. Yeah. But
0: you're not gonna, you know, suppose that somebody dead with just tiny kind of really little a stone. You're picking up the rocks.
1: No. And I mean, eventually, if you do stone somebody with little stones, they could die a slower death because you can you can cause pain up into the place where they die. But that's not how it was. Mm-hmm. They would find the nicest size stones that they can carry. Not too heavy, you know, but not too small. And that's what they would do to you. And that was vicious. Let's go to uh, Second Corinthians, Chapter 11. Some people, man, that's all you get to talk about is torture. No, I'm, I'm telling people about what they need to know because you see, this is what's coming a Christian's way. That's why Jesus tells us to count the cost. See if you have sufficient enough in you to finish it. I'm not trying to scare people away from Jesus. He loves us, but you got to understand that you're the you're the walking dead, anyways, right now. All right, so this is 2 Corinthians 11. Let's look at verse 17. That which I speak, um, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring uh, you into bondage, if a man devour you, uh, if a man take take of you if a man exalt himself if a man smite you on the face i speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak how be it whereinsoever any is bold i speak foolishly i am bold oh, i am bold also i am bold also but this is bold okay <laughs> this is what he's trying to say then he says in verse 22 Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labor, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prison, more frequent in death's oath. Of the Jews, five times received uh, 40 stripes, save one. So, you know, if you compare, they all suffered persecution of disciples. But if you compare Paul's life to anybody's to Jesus, Paul's would come closest, you know, because he suffered more than they did. And he was a persecutor of the church, but God turned him around and decided to use him. But he says one time here, he received 40 stripes upon his back. I mean, five times. So that means he's got 200 stripes upon his back. And he's still out preaching the gospel. Man, we must understand what this thing is about. Look at verse 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once uh, was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. So imagine a night and a day you've been in the deep. You spent a whole day out to sea. I mean, because they were shipwrecked. So, you know, they weren't on land. They probably, like, you know, had to swim towards land. Man, this is this is serious stuff. Anyway, I want to make the point. So it says uh they were shipwrecked uh, of the deep. Huh? 26. And journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers. So Paul's been in water, you know. I'm sure they had sharks and stuff around then too. But he says, in perils of robbers. So Paul was robbed in perils by my own countrymen, Paul was betrayed by his own people, in perils by the heathen, so unbelievers got a hold of Paul, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and unpainfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, So you got to understand, Paul has been through it all to worship and serve Jesus Christ. But you see, this is the other thing. When it says of false brethren, that's something to think about because I can be sensitive sometimes where I even find myself getting mad when I notice somebody says something behind my back or they weren't there or you see how phony people are acting now and then. See, that's only a sign that we've got to get out of ourselves and give it to Christ and believe him. We're not in this mission to to be liked in the first place. If you get mad because somebody said something to you or about you concerning the gospel, then that means that you love self more than you love Christ because Jesus didn't defend himself. So why are we defending ourselves? That goes with the territory that we're going to have to endure. But see, the whole point of me bringing all this up tonight is they would rather die than to dishonor that great name of Jesus Christ. Do we love him the same way? Do we love our brethren the same way? Do we love our enemies and unbelievers the same way? But you see, these are the people that believe God and will go as far as he wants them to. Man, so he was in nakedness, fasting's everything. And some people, I can't fast, I got a medical condition. See, man, that's all garbage in some ways because you can fast to a degree, but you see how the devil has made us looking after ourselves that we can't even give God time? So that means we've got no faith in the spirit of God if we can't even fast till noon. If we can't even fast till 3 p.m. and we, oh, you know, the doctor told me I need to eat a lot of small meals. I don't care what the doctor said. What does Jesus Christ say? This is what we better pay attention to. We are such babies today. Verse 28, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So Paul loved the churches. He said, man, I don't care what I gotta go through. Wherever the Holy Ghost leads me, I will go. Verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities." That's a real soldier. All the weaknesses, all the sick, all the pain, everything I've got to go through, going to jail and all of this. Man, I'm gonna glory in those things because I represent that great name. That's what this is about. Verse 31, "'The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'which is blessed forever um more uh, knoweth that I lie not.'" So how many of us can say that? Paul is laying out his resume of what he's doing as a Christian. And he said, you can pretty much ask the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will tell you, I'm not lying. I have forsaken all to follow the Lord and God the Father knows my resume. Who can say that so boldly? You and I can't say that. We can't say God the Father knows I gave all because God the Father would tell you you're lying. The Holy Ghost would tell you before you even get ready to say such a thing, don't you open your mouth and say that. That would be lying. That's not the truth. But how many of us can lay our lives down and just say, Lord, I have given you all? You notice when Peter said that to Jesus in Matthew 19, Peter said, Lord, we have forsaken all to serve you. And Jesus didn't tell Peter, no, you didn't. Jesus said, oh, because you have? You will be with the 12 tribes of Israel sitting on 12 thrones, judging the tribes. So Jesus, they, Peter knew he gave all. He went where Jesus went. And we must go and do what the spirit of God tells us to do. Verse 32, in Damascus, the governor under of uh, the king kept the city of the Damascenes with the garrison, desirous to apprehend me. So you got a governor trying to arrest Paul. And then, I mean, the devil don't even know you and I are alive. He don't even know we're on the blip because some people, the devil's trying to do this to me. The devil don't even know you alive. You never ministered to one person, never said one thing. You don't even show up on the radar, the devil. No, that, that might be the devil, but the point is, is you're not having as big an impact as you think you are until you give all. Look at verse 33. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Paul had to run for his life to tell the truth. Let's look at um, Acts 14, and I'm going to close from there. Acts chapter 14. But you see, these guys have really given it all. They've given everything to the Lord. I just want to read one scripture here. As a matter of fact, Acts 14 is not going to be the last chapter, but I want to read one thing here in Acts 14. You guys look at this. Because I don't want to end this on a low note. I want people to have some understanding of what God wants. And I don't think it's a low note, but I'm just saying, these guys would rather die than to dishonor Mm -hmm. God. And we are a long way from home. All right, I believe I'm looking for... Uh, let's look at uh, verse 19. This is Acts 14 and 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So they left Paul for dead because he preached the gospel. Look at verse 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas and um, at to Derby, verse twenty one. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and had taught many, uh, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. You want to talk about a man of steel? He got he just got stoned there, left for dead. The spirit picked him up. He went, did what he needed to do, preached at Derby and then had the audacity to come back into the city where he was stoned. And why did you do that, Paul? Look at verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So that tells us right there. So when Paul got saved, well, God picked him up. Paul didn't say, Man, now I got to get out of here. You know, I see how rough things are. Paul went, continued in the Lord's business, and said, Hey, man, you know what? I've got to come back so that people can see that I'm alive. After all I went through, people can glorify God now because of what, you know, um, they have seen in me. You think these guys were worried about their lives? That was the furthest thing from their minds. They wanted other brethren, in case you get caught in this situation, Just know one thing, God is with you. The Lord is with you and he he can do all things. That's greater than running off somewhere to hide out for your own safety because people will say, man, you see what happened to Paul? Well, we better get out of here too. But as you can see, he kept ministering and he went back. That's why Jesus showed himself after 40 days. Guys, I'm not, I mean, after the resurrection, I'm not dead, I'm alive. That's what we better understand. That a Christian is an overcomer of death, his own fears, the world, the flesh, the devil, you know, being liked by the world, being rejected of the world. A Christian is an overcomer. Last scripture of the night, let's go to Hebrews 10. And I want to look at verse 19, and we will close from there. Man, are we really out of touch? I ain't think about it this what I'm saying right now would be seen as crazy and I'm sure some people are going to think so who on earth can preach a message like that oh well, hey I'm letting you know what the true love is versus the false love and self-preservation you know self-preserving Christian is right. let's look at verse 19 it says now where remission of these of of these is there is no more offering for sin.
0: Uh,
1: Hebrews 10 and 19. Uh, Hebrews 10 and uh, 18. You couldn't go down one thing. No, that's cool. All right, so this is Hebrews 10 and 18. Now, um, where remission of, of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, Uh, by the blood of Jesus. So you see, they now have the boldness to go into the holy place because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. That's why the only one who can walk boldly before the throne of God is Jesus Christ and those that have Christ in them. When you have forsaken all, and you understand what Paul said, Paul said, I have a crown of righteousness laid up for me, and not for me only, but for, for all them that long for the appearance of Christ. That's what we got to understand. Paul knew he made it in. But we know right now, if the Lord showed up, a lot of what we do is shaky. I mean, we'd be in some hot water, even with the best of our efforts, because we have not given everything over to Jesus. Anyway, I want to make this point. So they've got the boldness to go into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. So you see, you get past your flesh and you can live in the new and living way that God has for us. The flesh is who wants the world. The, self, the flesh is who wants to save self. We've got to go beyond. Verse 21, in having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So you see how he wants us to draw close to the Lord with a true heart, full of assurance in faith that you believe God. Lord, I don't care where you send me. I believe that you're gonna do this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because you you won't even believe he told you to go to prison and preach the gospel. You see what I'm saying? God wouldn't want me to get a criminal record. Everybody in this Bible has a criminal record. You know, so what are you
0: saying? Yep.
1: Yeah. All right, so our bodies washed. He, see, he wants our consciences washed from evil and our bodies washed with pure water. If we let God sanctify us, you won't have your conscience in the way trying to stop you. You'll go in accordance with what God mm-hmm. says. Verse 23 let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he that is faithful, that promise. Oh, so for he is faithful that promise. So we, can, we must keep in the mind too, God can't lie. If God said it, it will come to pass. It's whether or not we believe him, okay? Verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So he's talking about don't forsake the assembly because a lot of people don't want to be around other believers. You know, God may use your gifts where you are and get you to preach the gospel and reach people. But if you forsake the assembly or being around believers and you want to go out in this thing as a lone wolf, you know, that's against the wishes of God because he wants you to be with people. He wants you to be exposed to people that people will believe. Because the devil's forces are not alone. The devil is together. All of his army is one. They all fight against the people of God. But you got Christians, now I'll tackle this myself. I'll be home by myself. I'll do the things I want to by myself. And to be honest with you, those are some of the worst people around because those people don't even recognize where they're lacking or what their need is. They don't even realize the devil has separated them fully from the will of God to do what God says. Now, some people may say, didn't Paul go alone? Absolutely. Didn't Peter go alone? Absolutely. There were times they met up with the brethren, but then they separated and they went alone. So you got to see and understand that church itself is a breeding ground that you can grow and get full of God and move. If you have not been exposed to the church or elders or the congregation or the group of believers that are more mature than you, Then, you know, in many cases, you're not going to grow or you're going to go in your own ways and your own efforts. But we must have an understanding here that I'm not going to say church is for babies because it's not forsaking the assembly. But, you know, when you go to church, it's to congregate and to get to, you know, to people. But if you sit in one congregation for 15 to 20 years, then chances are you don't even know Christ and you're not even growing in Him because you're not even being led by the Spirit to do what God says you're still sitting there every week hearing messages when you're not even you know full of God to do what God says so yes we aren't we are not supposed to forsake the assembly of believers and being around believers and fellowshipping together we do that, but the point is is that you got a lot of people that won't get into this and go their own way and do the things that they want and when you have that you know or even when people are in the assembly, you still must know Christ he made clear in in um Ephesus or Ephesians of 4 and 11, he gave some, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some evangelists, and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ. He didn't say he gave all apostles, he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, he gave some teachers, some evangelists, and some pastors to perfect the saints. You see what I'm saying? So he gave what was necessary that people can grow. But what was the purpose of that for? Not so you can sit under them forever. It is so you can reach the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Read it yourself if you don't believe me. Read Ephesians 4. This thing is only meant that we sit up under government till we grow up. Then Christ is your head, you're led by the Spirit. You see what I'm saying? You can walk around whole with other believers. But when you're someone that's not giving yourself over to Him, you can sit in church forever and it won't change a thing in you. You'll remain exactly the same. Like He says in Ezekiel 33 like a singer of a song, sitting there listening to messages, like you're at a concert and you're just, man, that sure was beautiful. It was a good sermon today. Okay, you've been a member for 30 years. When are you gonna be full of Christ and go and and finish the work? When are you gonna be used as a tool or a vessel to preach the gospel? This is where a lot of people get held back because they believe that, you know, I'm just supposed to sit up in the church. And the Bible tells us that we are to know Jesus, get full of Jesus and do what he says. Congregation is not bad. Why? Because when you're falling, there's other believers there that can help lift you up and help you come together. But you eventually have to be led by the spirit to do what God calls you to do. You Never believe how many people are sitting in church and going to hell. I'm not against church. Church has its purpose for sure. But what people have got to understand is Christ in you is the hope of glory, not you. Christ in you, you know, and you can sit in church and not have Christ in you. Anyway, I just wanted to make that point, so don't forsake the assembly verse twenty six but if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but are certain of fearful but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' as law died without mercy. Under two or three witnesses. So you see, what he's comparing here is there are some, like a lot of people today will say, well, God won't send me to hell. God is love. God loves everybody. But if you notice, under Moses' law, everybody died under the penalty of death. So after grace goes by, what do you think is coming back? The law. So just as those people died under the penalty of death for forsaking God and not getting to know Jesus when the time came, you're going to be exposed to the same mercilessness because God told you what to do. Whether you believed it or not was on you, but he told you what to do. And a lot of people will forsake this and I don't think God has sent homosexuals or anybody to hell because God is love. That ain't what this Bible says. You better read God's word and have some understanding because if they died under the law, under the penalty of death, when your life ends, if you have not made it right with Christ, that's what's going to happen to you. Look at verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he that thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he has sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the spirit of grace. So he's, he's saying the same thing I'm saying. Do you really think you're gonna get away with this? How much do you think you're gonna pay for once we've been exposed to the truth and then we decide to throw away Jesus, trod him down, walk over him, and live the life we want? You think you're gonna get away with that? You're not. Look at verse 30. For we know him that hath said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we must understand, instead of just talking about the love of Jesus, we better have the fear of Jesus. Because the thing is, is he will do what he says. That's a fearful thing. So you see, while we got grace, let us not forsake this great salvation and do what the Lord says. Because if we do despite to the spirit of grace, then there's, there's no more repentance of sins for us. We've got to bear our faith. And that's not what I'm looking forward to doing. If Jesus paid it, let's just go along for the ride, believe him and trust him because you ain't got enough money in your piggy bank, okay, to pay for salvation. Look at verse twenty uh, um, 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. And that's what we're doing tonight. we're calling to remembrance the afflictions of the apostles of the prophets of those who follow God so that we don't faint in our hearts. So it says in verse 33 partly while ye made a, a gazing stock both of both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used But we had uh, we had compassion. But ye had compassion of me uh, in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance." So you see, these people took care of Paul and they gave what they had because they knew that they had heaven to await them. The only way we're gonna love our brother is if we believe that God is a rewarder of the righteous. Not man, not what we can gain in ourselves verse thirty six but ye have need of patience that after ye had done the will of God, ye might receive the promise, so those who do the will of God receive the promise verse thirty seven but yet a little while and he and he that shall come will come and will not tarry, but of uh, the all right, let me make this point, so Jesus will come and not tarry. So when time is up and Jesus decides to come, there's going to be nothing that's going to hold this back. Everything that is on the side of unrighteousness will be judged. That which is on the side of righteousness will be judged. Okay, both have got to come before the throne of God. But look at verse 38 in his warning. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him but we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So as you can see, what he wants us to do is to continue forward in him, not to forsake the grace that is given to us that we may walk with God. I'll tell you where Christians themselves get in trouble, when we become happy with the relationship we have with God, we should be ever increasing and warning him to draw closer to him, because the relationship that you have with him right now, it's not enough. You've got to keep that relationship with him. You've got to draw close until Christ be formed in you that you might do what he says, because outside of that, you know, you can draw back simply by remaining still, by not going forward and doing more. You can draw back in that way, because you see what faith you needed yesterday is not the same amount of faith you need today. As you go through this thing, through trials and tribulation and enduring what the devil has and what God has for you, you've got to have more faith. You've got to have more of a relationship in knowing God. That's what this is about. So I just wanna tell people out there, this may not be a popular message, but we must continue to endure and go closer with God and do what he says. Why? So that we would rather have death over dishonoring the name of Jesus. So give your life to Jesus while there is still time. Get full of his spirit and get on the path that he wants you to. Because when all is said and done, we've got to stand before that great God whose eyes are as a flame of fire. And he is not going to allow you to tell him what anybody else did to you. You're going to have to give um, account for the deeds done in your mortal body. So let's honor the name of Jesus Christ, even if it means our death unto self, that we can be full of Jesus and go as far as he wants to take us. So um, I'm done for the night and I want to give it to um, Sarah's going to present something and then we're going to close out in prayer.
0: All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 and 12. All right, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, I'll say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain and your faith is in vain? So the reason why this is so important to talk about is because you have people today actually trying to debate whether or not the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually did happen. And it's interesting how this is actually, you know, prophecy, because it's being talked about thousands of years earlier where this debate was also going on. And Paul's talking about it because he's saying to these people, and I want atheists to to really, you know, logically think about this since they're logical individuals is if, if, when he says right here, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain? Why preach and talk about someone who never rose from the dead? What's the point? Because you don't hear about all this in other false religions. They're not going out of the way to say, you know, Allah died on the cross for your sins or Buddha died on the cross for your sins. They're not doing any of that. Christians are the only ones preaching that gospel. And we've been preaching it for thousands of years. All right. Verse 15. Yea, and if we are found false witness of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that he died dead. If so, be that he died. If so be that the dead rise not, excuse me. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Yea, are yet your, yet ye are not in your sins, excuse me. So, um, in other words, that if Christ did not die on the cross, if he did not rise from the grave, then we are not in our sins, because that's exactly why he died. He died for our sins. So what he's saying right here is is that if you want to believe that Jesus Christ never died on the cross for your sins and rose again, then you're in your sin or you're not being accountable for your sin. And that's what a lot of people want to believe today. That's why they want to say that he did not die on the cross because they want to live in their sin. They want to they don't want to be accountable for their sin. They want to pleasure in it. They don't want their own conscience exactly exactly and so that's why they're pushing away the gospel that's why they're pushing away jesus christ is because they don't want their reality disruptive verse 18 then they also which are fallen asleep in christ are perished if in this life only we have hope in christ we are of all men most miserable so in other words, if you're believing in Jesus Christ only in this world and you have no expectation of being in heaven, if you want heaven to be here, even though in John 18, it says my kingdom is not of this world, it's but the father. If you want to believe that Jesus Christ is here and this is the only place we're going to see him, then man, this is a miserable existence to think that we're not getting out of this life to live with Jesus Christ because this place is hell and it's not heaven. Verse twenty, but now is Christ risen from the dead, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by man come death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we're born in the sinful nature that we have inherited from Adam. But when we are born again in Jesus Christ, we live with him. This physical body is going to die, like you said earlier. We're already dead. We are scheduled for death. But if we have Jesus Christ in our life, then we will live again with him in the coming, in the resurrection, in, in the regeneration, in Jesus Christ. All right, verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are in Christ at his coming, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put all, put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted. Which did put all things under him because jesus christ. He overcame death. He overcame the grave and he is the only one that can do that That's why he can put death under his feet because he conquered death on the grave That's why he died and the thing is, is that the same thing is going to happen to us We're going to die in the first day, but it's the second death that he's talking about It's going to that hell It's going to the lake of fire because he went down there and he got the keys you know, and he ministered to the demons that were down there. But he's the only one that can do that. And that's why it's not us that overcomes, It's Jesus Christ in us that allows us to overcome the world, that allows us to overcome all of this. Well, us sitting here today and other people that come, we're witnesses to that. Verse 28. When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son of also himself be subject Unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. So, if we're in jeopardy of living this Christian life, then why are people having an issue with Jesus Christ raising for the dead? Because that is exactly the point. They're trying to say the resurrection never happened. They're trying to say that we Christians are crazy. But why are they saying that if Jesus Christ never existed, if he never came from the Father, if he never preached his gospel, if he never spent his time here, then why why bother? Why bother with Christians? Why worry about it? You know, why is it illegal in other countries? Why are people put to death in other countries for Jesus Christ's name? Because it's not how he's the only name that Satan hates and that's why it's happened But we have to understand that if we want to live with Jesus Christ in his kingdom Then we're going to have to accept the baptism unto death Because that's why we are baptized unto death in this world but life with Jesus Christ That's what I usually mess with
1: sometimes so you know, it's important that we understand that there's nothing greater than the name of Jesus and glorifying God. Amen. So from here, I guess we can go out from prayer, and um, I want to. Uh, uh, never mind. Let's
0: pray. Alright. Good sir. Heavenly Father. I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God, for another day that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, I just want to thank you for all and everything that you've done for us. And how, Lord, you've just transformed our lives, Lord. And you've set us on the path straight and narrow. But I pray, Lord God, that we stay on the path. Yes, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that we not get comfortable, that we not get complacent in this life. but we understand, Lord Jesus Christ, that if we're going to walk after you, that we have to understand what that costs. That we count the cost, Lord, to see if we have not in us to do this Lord Jesus Christ because it is a thankless job it is a self-sacrificing job but Lord it is a joyful job it is a joyful thing to do your will Lord God it's a joyful thing to go out and tell others about you Lord Jesus Christ because you are the only way to be saved you You are the only way to be set free you are the only way to be made right in this life Lord God you are the only one Lord Jesus Christ that deserves all the praise and the glory and the honor for the Force in our life, Lord. Yes, and Lord God, I want to ask and pray tonight that all of those out there tonight who are struggling with addictions, who are struggling, Lord Jesus Christ, with things that they can't let go, like fornication, alcoholism, drugs, homosexuality, whatever it is, Lord Jesus Christ, that holds a point in their life, that in the name of Jesus it can be conquered, Lord God. And we are yes, living Lord. testimonies of these things that happen. Lord. Yes, Lord and I say thank you, Jesus. I say thank you, God, because I know that there's someone out there tonight listening, Lord, struggling with these things. That I want to tell them that they can overcome it in Jesus Christ. We are overcomers in Jesus Christ. It will happen in their life if they just give their lives to you, Lord God. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for everything that you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for our sins, and raising again the third day. Yes, Thank you, Jesus, for all the men and women who have come before the Lord God who are willing to sacrifice their own life so we can have the living word of your word today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, and I pray, Lord God, that you do the same work in our lives, Lord. Yes, that we Lord. will go out and to tell others about you no matter the cost of Jesus Christ because you did not give us a spirit of fear but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. And yes, so we will be warriors for you you come, Lord, and draw our very last breath on this earth, Lord Jesus Christ, that we take up our cross and follow after you. Yes, that we be more like you to be filled with your Holy Ghost in all that we do. Amen. That you get all the praise, the glory, and honor that you deserve. In yes, Jesus Lord. Christ, your most holy name, my Amen. Amen.
1: So that's going to wrap it up for this week, guys. Um, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound of Trumpet Ministries soundentrumpetministries.com, and I answer my emails frequently. Uh, you can also email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, Hallett, H-A-L-L-E-T-T, letter J at gmail.com. So I just want to say with that, you guys have a good week.